Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Piki mai, kaki mai, and welcome to our changing world. From RNZ National. On last week's show, I went bird watching with ex goodie Bill Oddy, and we saw and heard some great native birds. This week, I'm off for another bit of bird watching, this time with Massey University ornithologist James Dale. James co authored a recent paper in Nature looking at the colours of bird feathers. He wanted to work out why, in some species, the male is much brighter and showier than the female, while in other species, females and males look the same. I've dragged you out of the office just for a little walk to see if we can find some birds to just have a chat about their colour. So far I've seen sparrows. One sparrow, one, <laughs> I think it was a female sparrow flying over, so a typical kind of brown bird that uh, there's quite a, a large number of. There's another one over there. There is a difference between female and male sparrows. The male sparrows have a, a pretty prominent black bib and they have richer rufous coloration on their, on their back and so on. And this is uh, something that you see often in birds, is where um, there's a difference between the sexes. It's often the male that is more colorful. So that's a, a spotted dove. As far as I'm aware, the male and female in this species are very similar and somewhat brownish, although the birds do have a pretty interesting looking spotting on the back of their neck, giving them their name. There's kingfishers around here all the time, so maybe we'll see a kingfisher. They're dove. a beautiful turquoise colour, aren't they? That's right. And, um, and males and females, do they have any differences? The male can be a little bit more richly coloured than the female, but typically uh, they're pretty hard to tell apart. When males and females are different, the males are typically the more colourful ones. And so a lot of research on bird coloration and, and ornamentation in general has been focused on males and sort of been swept under the rug is these cases, and there's a lot of them, where the females are also quite colored. And the kingfisher is a great example of, of that. And the question then comes up, well, why are females so colorful? Or even we can step back a bit further and, and wonder why do birds have these bright colorations or some species have this bright coloration to begin with. What have we traditionally thought about why males are often brightly colored and the females are much drabber? Well, there's a few clues. If we consider all the different species of birds, when the female and male are different, it's the male that's more colorful. Sometimes in some species of birds, there's a difference between the breeding season and the non-breeding season, and it's always the breeding season that the bird is more colorful. And then often there's differences between young birds and adult birds. And when that's the case, it's always the adult birds that are more colorful. So these clues give us a pretty good idea of that it has something to do with reproduction. And uh, indeed, Darwin tuned into this right away and, and got it largely right and explained it with his classical theory of sexual selection, that these bright ornamental features function to attract mates or to compete with rivals for access to mates. Uh, and when you think about that, well, that makes a lot of sense. If you think about uh, other kinds of traits like sharp teeth 
or wings or feathers in and of themselves, they have obvious advantages in terms of survival. And Darwin proposed his theory of sexual selection to explain these traits that don't have any obvious survival advantages. In fact, a lot of these traits are going to be outright costly. You have to produce these ornaments, you have to have this bright coloration which could attract predators. Yet if they function at attracting mates to, to reproduce or uh, in competition for access to mates, then they will be passed on through the evolutionary process. Now you've been looking at this question in terms of a big group of birds, thousands and thousands of birds. Tell me about that study. Quite an <laughs> intense study, quite a few years of research. And it's a study that's been made uh, possible these days because we have actually big data sets on characteristics of different species. We have computers that are able to manage the data and do sophisticated analyses. And we have information about the relatedness of all the different species to each other, which allows us to do rigorous statistical analyses. And so given those tools were there in place, we decided, okay, look, what we're going to do is we're going to actually measure the coloration in every species of songbird or passerine. Now, this is a group of birds that are your typical sparrows or tuis, crows, and things like this. And they actually represent about 60% of all birds. There's 5,983 species, so 6,000 species of about 10,000 in total. And so we focused in on them because these birds have dramatic variation in the um, kinds of colors that they have. Many species have drab brown plumage, kind of like a, a house sparrow, for instance. And many species are really quite colorful. Like some New Zealand examples I can think of might be the hee where the male has got this dramatic black and orange and white coloration in contrast to the female, which has a more drab olive coloration. Or the tui, for instance, which has you know, this really glossy blue-green, quite striking coloration. And, and in that species, both the male and female have that coloration. So we quantified coloration in all these species, and then we used our data on a variety of different uh, characteristics of these species, where they bred, what their mating system was, their body size, and things like this. And we tried to tease apart the different evolutionary drivers or, or uh, selective factors that could predict whether a male or a female was brightly colored. You've got this enormous group of birds. You were comparing them with different kinds of selective pressures. What were those? Think about species where the male is very much more dramatically more colorful than the female. Uh, often those species have strong sexual selection occurring in them, in that the males might have a polygynous mating system. Which means one male, several females? That's right. Where, where those males who are quite successful will mate with, with multiple females. And they might have a territory, for instance, where uh, a number of females might be breeding on his territory. Or alternatively, you can have species with lecking mating systems. A New Zealand example would be the kakapo, where the male just displays, and the only contribution he makes to reproduction is his sperm. The female will mate, choose a male to mate with through you know, looking at these different displays or coloration. And then uh, the, after choosing a mate to male, mate with, uh, the female will then go and raise the young completely on her own. So this strong sexual selection with polygynous mating system is often associated with these strong differences in coloration. And so we had, you know, a number one predictor that we had to put in there was was mating system, whether the species was monogamous or polygynous. But that's not the whole story, because you often get species where, like in the kingfisher that we were talking about, or the tui, where the female's also very brightly colored. And 
understanding why in many species females are brightly colored is a problem that you know has just started to gain a lot of traction among evolutionary biologists and we wanted to address it with this large data set and see if we could really resolve some of the fundamental drivers. So what did you decide was happening? Well, so we had sexual selection in uh, our data set, but we also were looking at other factors. So we had body mass, tropical breeding, because of there's a, a view that species that breed in the tropics are often more colorful. Uh, it's been looked at a bit um, and with not particularly... Uh, conclusive results, so we put that in there. We also had um, other factors such as cooperative breeding and migration, all based on sort of other research that argued that these factors were important in, in explaining coloration. And by putting all of these factors in at the same time and having a large data set, we were then able to tease apart the relative effects of all these things. So to do this colour analysis, did you have all sorts of photos? What were you using? Uh, okay, so there's this wonderful uh, set of volumes called The Handbook of the Birds of the World. And it's a very ambitious project. It got completed a couple of years ago. 16 volumes, and this, uh, these books, which are massive, illustrated every single species of bird in the world. And the illustrations are superb. The artists are, are really fantastic, and the... the um, quality of the of the images are, are great and so that's what we used we just scanned these uh, with a basic image scanner and then analyzed the coloration using just basic photographic software that we developed for this project but a, a fundamental challenge to this project and to research looking at color differences between species is how do you actually come up with a number that is associated with colorfulness you know if you think about a red bird like a uh, cardinal in the in the uh, North America versus a bluebird like a kingfisher, which species is more colorful? I mean, they're both quite colorful, but the color red and the color blue are completely different. So how do you do it? We basically use the idea that, look, when there is a difference between the sexes, the vast majority of the time it's the male that's more colorful. So we kind of let the birds tell us which colors represent more ornamental colors by looking at those colors that tend to be found more often in males. And then if we'd find those colors that are more male biased in a female, then we'd say, okay, look, this is a female that has actually quite ornamental coloration. What were you finding? I suppose we can boil it down to fundamentally three striking patterns. Now, the first one was a bit of a surprise. So we put body size in there. This is typical of comparative work like this because body size is often correlated to all sorts of different things. We weren't really expecting it to be correlated to coloration, but it turned out that it, that it actually was, and in a very striking and strong way. So the bigger you were, the more likely you were to be colorful. That's correct. So the bigger species uh, were more colorful, and this was true for both males and females, and the pattern was stronger for females. So what we found was that species that were small tended to have pretty drab coloration, and the males would tend to be more colorful than the females. When species were big, both the male and female would have more colorful uh, plumage, and the male and female would be more similar in their colors. So what did you think was going on there? Well, like I said, this was a surprise. So to be honest, we don't actually know. And what we think is that body size is actually a predictor of predation. And so that a cost associated with colorful plumage is that it does attract predators. But if you're a bigger, you might be able to be uh, less vulnerable to predation, defend yourself more uh, uh, vigorously, or just get attacked less because a lot of predators that attack birds aren't 
as, as, as big as some of the biggest birds. And so in that situation, because the cost of the colorful plumage is reduced, then other factors can kick in and allow the species to be more colorful. So that's what we think is going on. It's speculation, and hopefully it will be tested more in the future. More testing required. Oh, yeah, okay, absolutely. so the fact that if you're a little bird and possibly more likely to be eaten, you're more likely to be a little drab, not yeah, draw attention to yourself. Not draw attention that's to one yourself. of your findings. What's the, the next one? The next one, and this is quite a strong pattern, is that species breeding in the tropics are indeed more colorful than species breeding uh, in temperate regions. Is that just because there's more species in the tropics and there's more competition going no, on? It, ah, yes. <laughs> That's right. Kind of, I, yeah. Kind of. There, we do think that there's more competition going on in the tropics. Uh, you get lots of species that are residents all year round. They have to defend their territory whether they're breeding or not. The male and female will typically have sex roles that are very similar, so they both will incubate, they'll both feed the young, and they'll often mate for life. And yet these are species that are really quite colorful. So we think that it has to do more with competition than mate choice per se. That, again, is something that is subject to future testing, but we did find that the pattern was very, very strong and consistent across a variety of different groups. I mean, all of these patterns, there's lots of exceptions you have to bear in mind. It's, it's kind of statistical, but we can measure the, the actual strength of the effect, and, it's, and it is really quite strong. So was sexual selection your third significant finding? Yes. So we did find, indeed, that sexual selection did predict bright coloration in males. But the effect was about as strong as tropical breeding, as I said. And what was striking about this result is that sexual selection had a much, much stronger effect on female coloration than it did on male coloration, but in the opposite direction. Ah, so, so the males are getting brighter, the females are getting less bright. That's correct. So sexual selection predicted females getting less bright, and that effect was very, very strong. An equivalent way of stating that result is that actually monogamous species... The male and the females tend to be really colorful. And in species, the classical sexual selection species with polygynous mating systems, males are much more brightly colored than females, but it's because the females have gotten very drab coloration and the males have just maintained their bright coloration. So bright, gaudy plumage in birds really seems to be the default. And it's when sexual selection is really strong, it releases the pressure on females to have this coloration and they lose it promptly because of the various costs that might be associated with it. And that was kind of a big surprise and was because the sort of default prediction would have been that sexual selection would have been the big driver and that that would have been acting mostly on making males more colorful. And yeah, it turns out that females have to be colorful too and it's when they're um, competing with each other to get access to a mate and themselves and contributing equally to taking care of the young as the males and, and so on. So we, we found some other results as well, but in combination, what this research told us is there's a lot of different factors that affect plumage coloration and a lot of the actions actually happening on females and trying to resolve why females are very colorful in some species and not in others is a real rich area for future research. And it's interesting because it means that as I walk around in the future, I'm going to be looking at birds not thinking just, gosh, there's a lovely colorful bird, but why is that bird colorful? I'm sorry I've done that to you. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be interesting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that was James Dale from Massey University. That's all for now, but you can stay in touch with us on Twitter at rnz underscore science. Kia ora mai. 
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.